It's three o'clock in the morning. You're sound asleep. Phone rings. And it wakes you up. And as soon as you hear it, you get this really anxious feeling. You answer the phone. It's, it's a collect call. Do they still do that? You know who it is. It's your son. He's in jail. And, again, what happened this time? I thought you were back in school again. Were you with those friends again? Wait a minute, wait a minute. Were you drinking? Were you, were you on the, are you high now? What is going on here? And you just get filled with these emotions, these feelings, this frustration, this confusion. How did you get here? How, how could this happen? How could this happen to us? We're supposed to be Christians. We've been given a higher calling. Our text tonight, if you hit the first slide here, says this, As obedient Christians, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. We're supposed to be holy. So what does that even mean? So I have this problem when I read scripture. That I've, I've read it so many times, and I see words, and I just immediately do what I call Christian substitution. I put in this word or phrase in place, and it's like, I already know what it means, and so I don't think about it. But then I was thinking about, what does holy mean? And I realized that outside of its religious context, and this religious, religious overtones and baggage that it may have, I don't really know what it means. And so, if you hit the next slide, let's, let's try to come up with a definition for holy. Does any, what, when I say the word holy... What do you think of? What, what, is it, what do you think it means? Not a rhetorical question. <laughs> Distinct. Distinct, okay. Sacred. Sacred, okay. Mm-hmm. Set apart. Set apart, what is that? Reverent. Okay. Those are all very good, and those are all very similar to things that I found. But the problem, holy is a, is a special word when you're trying to do this kind of etymology, uh, history, study of the history of the words, because... We actually got it out of the Bible. It's, it's one of those words that seems to only exist in a religious context. Um, and so the, the best general purpose definition I found, and you can hit the next one, is set apart, which I think y'all said. It's, it's, you know, we've taken this, we've made it different. The very first time we ever see that word holy is in Exodus. Moses is out tending sheep. He sees a bush. It's on fire. It's not being consumed. And then he hears the voice of God. Do not come any closer. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. It's set apart ground. It's sacred ground. Sacred's got a lot of religious baggage with it, too. Um, It's special. So, okay, it's special, it's set apart, it's sacred, and we're said, we're told, be holy, because I am holy. That's God speaking. And actually, when I was reading uh, earlier, that's it says, it is written, be holy because I am holy, which tells me that that is a quote from the Old Testament. 
Um, and it turns out that if you look in Leviticus, which is right in the middle of the story of the law, of God giving his people the law, he says, you are to be holy to me because I, the Lord, am holy. And I have set you apart from the nations to be my own. So there it is again, that idea of being set apart, being made holy. What's interesting is that the word holy doesn't specify what it is that sets you apart, what it is that makes you special. It just says, you're special. Now that's, you know, there's a lot of room for interpretation there, because if I were to talk about, for example, special food, um, I could be talking about something made from high quality ingredients that's farm fresh and locally sourced. Or it could be talking about the special sauce at Jack in the Box. <laughs> Those are both accurate uses of the word. It depends. What is it that makes it special? The word doesn't tell us. We have to go back to the context. Um, and so, back here in this section in Leviticus, where God is giving the law to his people, and it's interesting, he's actually, that story is God going in and finding his people in the midst of another nation and pulling them out of Egypt and placing them in the promised land, literally setting them apart. He says, keep all my decrees and laws, my commandments, and follow them so that the land I'm bringing you to live in may not vomit you out. You must not live according to the customs of the nations that I'm going to drive out before you because they did all these things I abhorred them. But I said to you, you will possess their land I will give it to you as an inheritance, a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God who has set you apart for the, from the nations. So, that's a very long way to say, keeping the commandments of God is what sets you apart. Keep my commandments, keep all of my laws, because all the other nations aren't doing it, and I'm going to put you in this land and I'm going to set you apart. So, by keeping the commandments... We are set apart, and that's, that's a lot of stuff to, to keep to. That's, this, that's a pretty lofty idea, right? We have to follow all of these rules, this, this moral standard that we have, to follow this higher calling of being holy. But that's what God said. We're to be different from everybody. We're called out to be holy. And at this point, those of you that still remember my opening story are probably going, what in the world does this have to do with that? Because i got to say, this lesson doesn't seem to be very comforting for that story. You're saying we have a call to be holy, but come on, Ted, at what expense? In fact, if we're set apart, and the thing that we're known by is our high moral code, our adherence to these rules... And that's what defines us as a people. That's what sets us apart. That makes relationships very difficult. And in that situation with the father, talk, hearing about the son in jail, one reaction is, well, I have this higher calling. I am to be set apart. And you apparently do not have that. And I am to be set apart from you. And we break relationships, but you know, at least we have our principles. At least we know what we stand for. At least we stand for something against this crazy culture that we live in. That just doesn't sit right with me. So when I, when I come to that conclusion, it's like, okay, we probably missed something. We read the scripture, we read it superficially, really quickly through, we didn't take our time, so we missed something. So let's go back and really read it. We're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 1. If you got the Bibles that are in the pews, that should be page 833. So flip over there and let's read this very carefully and see what it is that we missed. 
1 Peter chapter 1, and I'm going to start reading in verse 14, okay? This is where I started last time. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, he was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in the last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth... Okay, so we just pause here. We've, we've been going. and So far, it, it sounds a little bit nicer because we've got this concept of Jesus redeeming us and helping us to become pure and giving us a new life, but still this idea that we need to be holy because I'm holy. But he's not done. I cut him off mid-sentence because um, I'm trying to make a point. So as he, he's building up to this climax, he says, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, I've really upset my son, <laughs> so that you have sincere love for each other. That's interesting. Love one another deeply from the heart. All right, so back up again. Now that we're purified by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. So we begin this section with a call to be holy, and we end it with a call to love each other. And the way I was, we were talking about holiness before, getting all Levitical, it didn't seem like there was much of a connection between the two. I, didn't, I, I don't remember saying anything about love when I was going through this whole thing about holiness. Maybe we missed something again. So let's, let's just quickly review here. Holiness means to be set apart. What is it that sets us apart? We're set apart by following God's commandments. Follow my commandments, for I am the Lord your God who sets you apart. Which commandments? You know, we just said that, keep the laws and decrees, and if you wanted to read the whole book of Leviticus, there's a ton of laws and decrees going from who you're allowed to marry, to what you're allowed to eat, to where you're allowed to sleep, to, to also things that we know and cherish, like honor your father and mother, and do not murder, do not commit adultery, and Ten Commandment type laws. There's a lot of commandments. There's a lot of stuff in here. Um... And it's not just an arbitrary question that I'm asking, by the way. It's like, maybe we only get to pick, like, our favorites. This is actually a very old question. People have been asking it for centuries, millennia, you might say. In Matthew, in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 22, so um, the Pharisees, who were this political group and this religious group, that, uh, if anything, they knew the law. And they heard that Jesus had silenced some of their rivals, the Sadducees. The Pharisees got together and they chose one, an expert in the law, to test Jesus with a question. 
And that question is, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And what's interesting here is that implicit in his question is that there is such a thing as a greater commandment than another one. Some commandments, he is saying, are important than others. And Jesus' answer is not, hold on, Mr. Pharisee, you're trying to trick me. All commandments are equal. A sin is a sin is a sin, and we need to... No. Jesus actually accepts that premise and answers the question directly. So he says, yeah, there are commandments that are greater than the others, and here it is. So it's already up there behind me. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment, and the second's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. That's huge. Jesus is saying the greatest commandment of everything else is love. Love who? Love God. Love people. And all the law and the prophets hang on it. In other words, the rest of the law, all the laws need to be understood in the context of loving God and loving people. All the commandments are interpreted by loving God and loving people. That changes things. In fact, let me put it to you this way. Back to holiness. If the greatest command, if the command that we're to follow is to love, the thing that sets us apart, that makes us holy, is obedience to the commandments. Therefore, the thing that makes us holy is our love for each other. Say that again. If the command is to love, and the thing that sets us apart is our obedience to the commands, then what makes us holy? Holiness equals love for each other. Am I stretching it a bit here? Am I really trying to, you know, twist some scripture to make a point that I really would like to be true? If Jesus meant this, wouldn't he have been more explicit than this? Wouldn't he have just come out and said it? I'm glad you asked that, Ted. (laughs) Throw up John 13, 34 to 35. Jesus says, a new commandment I give you. He's talking to his disciples. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. In other words, you will be set apart from the others as my disciples. You will be holy Because you love one another as I have loved you. Think about how Jesus loved. Complete, sacrificial love. And that is how everyone will know who Jesus' disciples are. That is what makes them holy. So let's pause for a second. Let me give you a chance to rewire your brains. Holiness is equal to love for each other. Okay, let that sink in. And let's revisit the scripture from Peter here. Peter, First Peter says, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Okay. Don't conform to these evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. What does that have to do with this? I have to confess, this is another case where I do Christian substitution. I see a phrase like evil desires that you had in ignorance, and I immediately think of one of those lists of sins that you often see in Paul's letters, like in Galatians. And so I just, like, 
in my mind, I don't read those words. I read a list like sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, jealousy, fits of rage, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Right? That's that's at least the genre of things that you think about when you see um, these evil desires when you live in ignorance. But then he says, but be holy. And remember, be holy means love one another as I have loved you. What does that have to do with each other? Well, maybe this is not, maybe this list of sins isn't what 1 Peter is talking about right here. Maybe it's something else. Let's go back to my story now that I opened with. It's 3 a.m. You're woken up by this phone call. Your son's in jail again. What do you feel? You feel angry? How can, why, how can he do this to us? How can he do this to our family? After all we've done for him, and this is how he repays us. Do you feel guilt? I thought I was a good father. I thought I did everything right, but I guess I guess I screwed up. Or maybe you just react like this. That's it. I'm done. I'm done. I'm cutting him off. I'm not going down there to that out. I'm not taking any more phone calls. I can't, I can't deal with this anymore. These feelings that you might be able to empathize with one or two of them, I suggest those are the evil desires that you had when you lived in ignorance. 1 Peter 1.22 Now that you have been purified by obeying the truth so that you have a sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. You could translate that, love one another from a pure heart. We are called to be holy. We are called to love. We are not called to be angry. We are not called to be hurt. We are called to have a pure heart and to love. What does it mean to have a pure heart, to love from a pure heart? I would suggest to you that it is that it means not being dependent on other people's behavior or approval for your own happiness or validation. Right? As, as that father, you can be angry at the son. He isn't... You had hopes for him. You had dreams for him. You poured your life into him. You had this plan for him. You wanted him to do well. And his misbehavior reflects poorly on you as a father. His misbehavior hurts you. He says hurtful things to you. You don't ever hear from him except when he needs something. And that takes you down. You are dependent on his behavior, on his success, on, on and his ability to perform and to do right, for you to feel validated as a father. And think about what it's doing to your wife. Do you wake her up? Because you know she's going to be upset. And when she's upset, what does it say about you as a husband? That you're not loving her right. You're dependent on her happiness for your happiness, for your validation. And you see all of this twisted relationships, these twisted dependencies. That doesn't sound like a pure heart. It's a, you're in a codependent relationship. And it's almost impossible to really love when, you're, when your relationships look like that. When you need someone to do something the certain way so that you can validate yourself as a person, so that you have conditions for this relationship. 
But if I have a pure heart, if I have been given a new birth into a new life, I know where I stand with God. I am aware that I have been created by God and am loved by God and have a purpose that comes from God. And that's the validation that I need as to who I am. That tells me who I'm worth and where I am and what, where I belong in this world. And I don't depend on having everyone else do what they're supposed to do. I know who I am. I am of God. And when I, when, I have, when I can come from that position, then and only then am I able to love others with the love of God. I could be that father in that situation and be like, okay, son, I'll go down there. I'll help you. I love you. This doesn't change anything between us. I want you to come back home. Now, I'm not going to make it easier for you to continue down this path, but I know that I can't actually prevent you from going down this path. But I love you. And I want what's best for you, but your failure to live up to whatever expectations I may have, that doesn't affect me, so I'm not going to let it affect you. And the same is true for the marriage relationship. And the same is true for any friendship, any business relationship, any, any other relationship. When you're, when you're able to let go of this baggage of these needs from other people and just know where you are with God, then the love of God can come out of you and healing can begin and right relationships can begin. And we can start to be holy, a holy people, a people that look different and set apart in this world. This love of God, it's, it's a supernatural love. The Apostle Paul said it was a gift of the Spirit, so let me just caution you, you're not going to be able to do it by just trying harder to love, by just gritting your teeth and going, I'm so mad at you, but I don't like you right now, but I love you. You're not going to do that. It's not how that works. It's a gift. You've got to give your life up to God. You've got to let Him take over. You've got to look to Him tell you everything you need to know about yourself. To learn everything you need to know about how to love others. So with all that in mind, I'd like to close with a time of prayer. You can bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm going to just ask a couple of questions to kind of guide your thoughts. And we'll take a few minutes and then we'll, then I'll actually say some prayer and we'll be done. So let's pray. Jesus said, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Are you known for your love? No. What are you known for?